Bibles, go ahead and open up to Micah, chapter number 5. Micah, chapter number 5. As you're turning there, it is in the uh, Old Testament. It's in the Minor Prophets. And uh, you've got to flip through several books there. You get to Daniel, uh, Hosea. And uh, after Hosea, uh, you have Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then finally Micah. And so hopefully that'll help you out a little bit. And uh, it is, you know, they're, they're small books and it's easy to turn past them and, over, uh, and pass them by and not find it. But, uh, Micah chapter number five and verse number two. I remember last year... Um, I, I wanted to, I really wanted to look at, at Bethlehem, and I never, never got an opportunity, and, uh, and so we, we didn't cover it, and uh, at least I was flipping through my notes, and, and I didn't have any notes of covering it, and I had no outlines written out of it, and I thought, I want to, really want to cover that. Uh, to be 100% honest with you, I had written my other Sunday school lesson, and, uh, and then I looked at the calendar, I said, wow, I said, we only got two weeks and Christmas is here. And, uh, and you know, it, it's taboo to talk about Christmas after Christmas. Well, it's not really, but uh, it's just somewhat awkward. And, uh, and I thought, boy, I really need to have a, a Christmas Sunday school lesson. So I spent all my time preparing my other lesson. And, uh, and we'll get to it. We'll continue our series in Joseph. But, uh, but it'll be a couple weeks, uh, maybe after uh, a week after Christmas or, or something. We'll see. And so I, I thought, boy, I'm going to dig into uh, Mike chapter 5 and verse number 2 and look at the prophetic reference to where Jesus Christ was born. I said this before when we were going through the book of, uh, uh, what book was it that we were going through? I don't remember, one of the prophetic books. And, uh, and I said this, one of the difficulties of prophecy is as we look forward to prophetic events, we don't know exactly how everything is going to play out. Uh, we, we've gotten a lot of information from the Word of God. God's Word spells out many things, but prophetic um, uh, references often point to something that has not happened, and sometimes it's a phrase, and sometimes it's a piece, and not the entirety of, of, of what is going to take place, and that's the way prophecy is. And so when we're looking forward uh, to the second coming of Christ, and end times, and uh, things of that nature, it's often difficult to nail down all of those details on some of the prophecy that we're given, uh, but when we look back at prophecy, and we look at prophecy that are given about Jesus Christ, his birth, uh, his death on the cross of Calvary, and his resurrection from the dead, and his uh, ministry that he had here on this earth, it's far easier to see those prophetic references because we're looking back at them. And they have already taken place, and we already know uh, what happened in the life of Christ because we can read the New Testament. So it's far easier for us to understand prophetic references uh, that pointed to something that has already taken place than it is to understand the prophetic references that point to something in our future, something that is going to take place, that being the second coming of Christ and, and, uh, and, and the uh, end times uh, and all of that. And yes, we know much about them, but maybe we don't have all of it uh, exactly set up correctly. And, uh, and so I just wanted to point that out and understand that about prophecy. Now that all being said, Micah chapter number 5, and just one verse of scripture gives so much information here, and we're just going to pull out notes about Bethlehem uh, out of these, this one verse. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, 
the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old from everlasting. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for uh, the many blessings and the privilege and the opportunity that we have to, uh, to, to read your word, to study your word, and God, to uh, be in church this morning. And God, I know there are those who desire to be here and physically cannot be here. And God, we do thank you for the uh, live stream and call in and the ways that we do have it uh, available. Father, for those who are not physically able to be here. But God, we do thank you uh, for the fact that we can openly meet and we can come here. God, I pray that you would just bless. I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me, that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at these, this verse, this one verse, uh, I just want to make several notes uh, out of this verse and, uh, and really grab the information that we can gather out of Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. You, of course, know if you've uh, around Christmas time and Christmas season, we think about the idea that, hey, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, and we, we, of course, know that. Going to the Gospels and reading those, we can find that out. But this uh, was prophesied far before Jesus ever came. And, uh, and so it was written down, and it's very clear. The Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, I cannot say that word. Uh, I, it's, I don't know why, but I can't. Um, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. So at surface level, we can certainly see this much that a ruler is to come out of Bethlehem. The last part of that verse I left out, uh, from, from of old, from everlasting. Whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So we can know this, that a ruler... And this is a ruler being God, the Messiah, is to come, and he is to come from Bethlehem. And so that's very clear. And as we see this, uh, I want us to notice a few things that are given about Bethlehem. I want you to notice first and foremost the humility of Bethlehem, the humbleness. It's a humble quaint little town. It is not a, uh, a very uh, big town per se, and it's not a, uh, a, what's the word, a significant town per se. It's a humble town. Uh, it's a meager town. And, uh, and as we look at it, uh, Bethlehem really dates as far back uh, as Jacob. You remember Jacob had, had, uh, had gone and he was working for his father, uh, father-in-law Laban, and, uh, and he eventually married Leah and Rachel. And after working there for almost 20 years, uh, he finally comes out and he's going back to his hometown and he's going back to where uh, he was raised, God's chosen land, Israel. Uh, and, and as he's on his way there, Rachel, his wife, uh, gives birth to uh, Benjamin. 
And in the, and they they're they're just about. It's kind of interesting because it takes place right about at at uh, Bethlehem. The Bible says Ephrathah, uh, and that is the place, and it means fruitful. And uh, she gives birth there, but then she also dies there. And the Bible makes reference of that in Genesis chapter thirty-five, and and she's buried there, just outside of Bethlehem. And so it's interesting to note that it's a very historic town. It's been around since the book of, of Genesis. And uh, could you imagine uh, from the time of Genesis to the time of New Testament when Jesus was born was roughly 4,000 years. Now in America, uh, I'm always amazed, you know, we travel around and, and we're like, wow, this house is 200 years old. And we're like, wow, that's old. That's, that's really old. And certainly it is. Uh, and we look at our history and we look at how long things have been around. And, and for America, wow, we're, we're, uh, we're amazed at 200 years. Uh, but when we lived in, in Italy and we were there and when we went to Rome, they're like, this thing has been around for 2,000 years. And I'm like, wow, now that's old. That's pretty old. And, uh, and then we find towns like this in Bethlehem uh, that still exist today. I forget the name of it. It's not Bethlehem, uh, but it's Bethlehem or something of that nature. And, and, uh, and it still exists today. And you're talking about a town in, in Christ's day that would have been close to 4,000 years old. And then now it's close to 6,000 years because from Genesis to the, uh, to the start of the New Testament it was roughly 4,000 years of time. And then from the time that Christ came to the time now, we're, we're about 2,000 years. So that's about 6,000 years. So it was a very historic town and it existed for a long time. It was known to be the birthplace of David. They often say uh, Bethlehem, the city of David. Uh, why is that? Because David was a uh, probably one of the greatest kings in the Bible uh, that ever lived. And, uh, and of course, we know that he was from Bethlehem, a very small town, a very uh, minor town with very, uh, very little significance as far as place that it had been. And it was known as the city of David. However, at the time of Jesus' birth, David's line had lost all significance. I mean, you think about what took place with the kings and, and David was king and then his son Solomon was king and I was reading all about that and kind of studying about the kings and then eventually uh, Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam took over and you remember he consulted the older people and then he consulted his friends and he decided to go with his friends. Well, the rest of the nation disagreed with Rehoboam and they separated. So Rehoboam left basically with one kingdom, and that was Judah. And then uh, I believe one other kingdom added to them, so he had two. And then ten northern tribes, Israel, said, hey, we want nothing to do with you. And they brought in Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was a wicked king, and he, he led the northern tribes in a complete direction opposite from God. And, and throughout time, you can kind of track those two kings, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and who was kings, and, and they had good kings and bad kings. Kings, but eventually uh, they were all overthrown and the Babylonians came in and took over everything. And when that happened, the nation of Israel was now living in exile. They were no longer part in their land and they were no longer in control. And when all of that happened, the kingly lines were kind of lost. 
Not that they didn't know who they were, but they lost significance. They were no longer important. And when, uh, when, when Jesus' day comes along, before Jesus is born, uh, yeah, they might have known that they were of the tribe of Benjamin. They might have known that they were of the tribe of Judah. Uh, but, but really, the kingly line had lost all significance because Israel was no longer in control. They were no longer in political power. And so there was no, uh, no place for a kingly line. And you say, well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, because the town of Bethlehem had lost all significance as far as a kingly line, as far as a, a place that was there. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah 53 in verse number 2. You can note it down. The Bible says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. In other words... He's going to come out of a town that's not significant. He's going to come out of a place that doesn't mean anything to anyone anymore. And certainly that was Bethlehem. It sat in a mountainous region. If you look at a map, it's about five, uh, five miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, is where Bethlehem sets. And out of Jerusalem, it kind of sets in the, in the foothills of the mountains there. And, and if you were to go due south, you would be traveling through a mountainous range and, uh, and arrive finally at, uh, at Bethlehem. And then from there, you could continue down to Hebron, uh, but, or Hebron, but it is also a very mountainous, treacherous path. If you were really going to travel anywhere in Israel, you would go east or you would go west. And if you went one direction, you would cross the river and go into a, a another whole area, and if you were to go uh, the other side, uh, you would end up at the coast, and then you would travel south, uh, and you would uh, arrive at other regions. So you could see that Bethlehem was not situated in a place that was well-traveled. You had to go there on purpose. You weren't going to go there by accident, and uh, it was a very difficult place to get to. And what I'm saying is, hey, it spoke of the humility of Jesus Christ. This was the place that God chose. And God said, hey, out of Bethlehem. Now, God could have chosen any town in Israel. He could have chose Jerusalem, which was a very significant town, which was very important in Israel. But he did not choose Jerusalem. He could have chose Jericho, but he did not choose Jericho. He could have chose any other place, Dan, Bethel, uh, Bethel, where God had appeared to man. There was many places that had a lot more significance than Bethlehem did. But at the same time, God said, hey, out of Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands. In other words, you don't have a whole lot of significance, but you're the one that I'm going to use. And you're the one that I'm going to bring the Messiah into this world. And so Bethlehem uh, was an incredible uh, meager town. And it speaks to God's humility. And the fact that, hey, God brought Jesus into this world, into a very humble, meager town that was not significant. What a lesson in humility that God gives us. Uh, not only that, but the Bible says this in Hebrews 2.9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he may, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And certainly he was brought into this world in a very meek and, 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 and humble fashion as the God of the universe. What an incredible lesson of humility. He was brought and made lower than the angels, brought to a meager town. And, uh, and, and what an incredible example he is to us 
in this humility of Bethlehem. Not only that, but I want you to notice not only the humility, though thou be, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, I want you to notice the humanity that would come out of Bethlehem. Not only the humility, but also the humanity. Look what he says. Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Humanity. That he would come forth out of Bethlehem. And, uh, and he would be a ruler. In other words, he would be a human that would come to this world. And this is uh, a reference to the very prophecy of Jesus Christ being born as a human. What an incredible miracle. I, 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 I think about it, and every Christmas I'm awed at it, and I'm amazed at the very fact that Jesus Christ, God himself, became flesh. We sing that in songs. We sing about that and we think about it. It just amazes me that God himself would come to this world. We see the humanity of it. Isaiah 7, 14 is a prophecy that we quote. And we, of course, know it around Christmas time. You'll see it on Christmas cards or you'll see it here or there. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and he sh and shall call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. What an amazing thing that out of Bethlehem would come human, would come God uh, in the form of man. And what an incredible concept that God would do that for us. So we see the humanity, we see the humility. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 1.20, the last part of it, uh, when, when the angel is talking to Joseph and saying, look, it's okay, uh, what is going on is totally of God. It's Mary wasn't uh, wasn't doing anything wrong. And uh, and so the angel was giving Joseph that consolation. And at the last part of that verse, uh, the angel tells Joseph this for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. What an incredible thought that God would become flesh here on this earth. And that was to take place right there in Bethlehem. We can see the humility. We can see the humanity. And, uh, and he says that uh, in Galatians chapter 4, um, turn with me to Galatians, save your spot here in Micah as we'll be back here, but Galatians chapter 4, I want you to see this verse, Galatians chapter 4, I'll give you time to, to get there, but we see and we think about the incredible idea that God would become flesh and, and that God would dwell among us and that they would call his name Emmanuel, that is God with us and, and, and what an incredible concept of that. What an incredible idea just to think of that. In Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 4, Galatians 4.4, 4, the Bible says, but when the fullness of, time, of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. Hey, when God saw the right time and God said, Hey, now is the time. Now I want you to come. Now is the time for Jesus Christ to be born. And God orchestrated and planned it all and set it all up so that, Hey, Jesus would come at the right time and He wouldn't be late and He wouldn't be early. And you notice that, uh, that Joseph and Mary were traveling. They had to go back and they were on their way uh, to go pay taxes. And, uh, and when they arrived, Arrived Bethlehem, hey, at the right time, 
God said, hey, now, now you're going to have your child. And humanity was brought forth out of this humble little town setting in the mountains that, that was really uh, not in the way of travel per se. You had to go there on purpose. And we see that Jesus Christ was brought forth of a virgin and that he was born in human flesh here on this earth. But the Bible says in this verse in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. But that last phrase, made under the law. There was no sin involved in what took place. And listen, that's significant. The fact that Jesus was born, uh, He was born without that sin nature. I was talking with somebody, and we, we, we struggle to understand what would it be like to not have a sin nature. Because our whole life, we've grown up with a sin nature. I mean, we grew up selfish. You know, we grew up, uh, I had an older brother and a younger brother. And, and, uh, and I'm sure, though I don't recall, I'm sure when my younger brother came on the scenes, as most siblings do, you know what happens? They get jealous. Because, hey, they're no longer the center of attention. Now, Junior came along, and boy, uh, he's a problem because now he gets all the attention, and they're always giving him the good things. And, and jealousy wells up inside of us. Why? Uh, because that's that sin nature. We're born with that. And, and if your brother has something and you don't, uh, then anger. And yeah, you want to take it from him. Why? Because of that sin nature that we're born with. And we just can't comprehend what would life be like without that sin nature. But Jesus Christ was made under the law and he had no sin nature. Because it was God that put him there in Mary's womb. And so there was no sin nature, and he was sinlessly perfect. The humanity of Jesus Christ was without spot and without wrinkle and without sin in his life and without error in his life. By the way, it had to be that way because if Jesus had sinned, hey, there'd be no perfect sacrifice for our sins. He would not be able to pay for our sins. It took a sinless, flawless sacrifice to cover our sins. And so we see that the Bible says when the fullness of time that he was made of woman and made under the law, what an important verse. And we see that that all transpired and that took place in the little town of Bethlehem that the humanity of God was brought to this earth. So we see the humility, we see the humanity. But I want you to notice this as well back in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Not only can we see the humility and the humanity, but look with me in verse number two. The Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee he, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Not only was, he, was it a humble beginning, not only was it a humanity that was brought into this world, but listen, he was heir to the throne. Boy, this is exciting when you get to look at this. And you get to thinking about this. You know, I've read the, uh, I've read the, uh, the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter number uh, 1, if I'm not mistaken there, and Luke chapter number 3. Uh, it, it's written down there and it's given to us, and I've read it countless times. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't enjoy reading, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And 90% of the names I can't 
and most of the people I don't even know, but it's there because it serves a wonderful purpose and a very important purpose in our life. Go with me to Luke chapter number three. Again, save your spot in Micah as we'll be back there. But Luke chapter number three. And I want you to see this. Luke chapter number three gives us the lineage of, of, of Joseph. In Luke, it's the lineage of Joseph. In Matthew, it's the lineage of Mary. And, uh, and it's important to understand this and see this. Luke chapter number three, and I want you to see this. Now, don't worry. I see some of you are sweating and fretting. I'm not going to read all these, okay? Um, because I would trip over every name. But I, I, wanna, I want us to see just a couple highlights that are very important. Luke chapter number three and verse number 23. Luke 3.23. Now the lineage of, of Jesus is given here in, in the, in the uh, later when he actually is starting his ministry. And so we find that Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 23. The Bible says this. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age being, look at this parenthetical statement, as was supposed the son of of Joseph. Now let me just pause here just for a moment to point out the fact that that is very important that that's included in the word of God. Why? Because Joseph was a fatherly figure to Jesus, but he was not the father of Jesus. You need to understand that. Isaiah 7, 14, that we said earlier, uh, that God would bring forth uh, 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 His Son through a virgin, that a virgin would conceive. Uh, that was not just an ordinary circumstance, but that was a holy circumstance, that God would uh, put Jesus in uh, Mary's body so that He could develop and be born as a baby. But Joseph was not the father of Jesus. And we need to understand that. So we understand that from the lineage. Uh, so we can see that. Again, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Um, now we go through a bunch of names here. But he starts off with Joseph, and he's going to trace it backwards. Now, Jesus was no physical relation to Joseph, but nonetheless, for record's sake, uh, oftentimes in Bible, the lineage is brought through the man, and so if you have a kingly, um, uh, if you have a kingly lineage, he is often referenced all the way through the man's, uh, uh, the, all the men that were, were tied there, and that's just the way it is recorded and given here in the Word of God. And so you go down through this list and he gives all the, uh, the father's names. And so, for, uh, so Joseph's dad's name was Heli. And he goes on and look with me at verse number 23. We already read that. Go with me to verse number 31. And he's given a whole bunch of names and he's tied them all back. And in verse 31, which was the son of Mea, Mela, Melia, which was the son of Menan, and this is why we didn't read them all. Which was the son of Mattatha, which was the son of, here was a name we know, Nathan, which was the son of David. Now that David is King David. Go with me to the next verse. Which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Solomon, which is not to be confused with Sol Solomon, okay? Um, but we see that David here is listed. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus, through rights of Joseph, would have, would have been an heir to the throne 
of David. And that's very significant. That was prophesied. And the Bible says in, in just in Micah 5, 2, that he would be a ruler. Hey, he would be a rightful ruler. He would be heir to the throne of David. Not only this here in Luke chapter number 3, but go with me to Matthew chapter number 1 really quick. We'll not spend a lot of time here either, but I do want us to see this. Matthew chapter number 1. And in Matthew chapter number 1, He says this in verse number one. We'll just read one verse. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He mentions two names besides Jesus Christ that are very significant. He mentions David. Why? Because David was the king of Israel. He was the esteemed king. He was the king that everyone looked to. And the Israelites held him in high esteem as one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament. So David represented the, the throne and the heir to the throne. Now Mary was tied to that same family and her lineage went all the way back to David. And then Abraham why Abraham? Because Abraham was the one that God had made a promise back in Genesis chapter 20, uh, 22 in verse number 18. And he said, in thy seed shall all the nations be blessed. And so this is a fulfillment of that promise. And it's important for us to recognize, hey, God fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham way back then, all the way through David being heir to the throne and all the way down to Mary giving birth to Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is, hey, Jesus Christ is heir to that throne of David that was promised because God said, hey, thy throne and thy kingdom will I establish forever. And he made that promise to David. And so we find that, hey, through Jesus Christ, that promise will be upheld and that promise will be, uh, will be fulfilled. Not only that, but I failed to mention in Luke 3, you can go back and look at it later, it goes all the way back to God. And listen, hey, you got to err because he is goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God, the Bible says. And so we find that Jesus Christ, because of the lineage, he is heir to the throne. Not only that, we don't have time to cover this, but in, in Philipp, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 11, the Bible says, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because Jesus Christ, not only because of lineage, but because He is the Lord, He is heir to the throne. And He is rightful to sit on that throne. And we find that all prophesied back in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. We find His humility, that it was a small town and it was a meager beginnings. We find His humanity, that He was made without sin and He was made under the law and He was brought forth of Mary uh, as a human. But then we find also that He was heir to the throne and he could, you can trace His lineage because the Bible faithfully records that for us. And we find that he was truly an heir to the throne of David and to fulfill the promises of God through Abraham and all of those promises that had been made. But I want you to see as well in verse number uh, Micah, back in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, the Bible says this, the last part, it says, whose going forth have been from of old from everlasting. 
Not only can we see His humble beginnings in the meager town of Bethlehem and His humanity being born on this earth and His heir through the lineage and lordship to the, to the throne of God, but also I want you to notice His heavenliness uh, that, hey, He was not only human, but He was God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. The last part of this verse, Micah 5, 2, points it out very clear. Whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That means he's been around a while. Listen, the, the, the fact that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ is not the beginning of Jesus Christ. You mark it down. The Bible is very clear about that. If, he, if his beginnings was only in Bethlehem, uh, then listen, it would be uh, all humanity and there would be no God. But the fact that he includes this in, a, in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 tells us very clearly that, listen, his start and his beginning would not be in Bethlehem, but would rather predate that and would go far into the past. He says, as from old. Listen, that goes all the way back to the creation. And you know Jesus Christ was active in creation. We don't have time to go there. But you can mark it down in Colossians chapter number 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. They talk about the very, uh, the very presence of Jesus Christ in creation and that He was there. And the Bible says uh, that by Him were all things created. Who's that him that it's talking about? Well, you go back to verse 15, and it's still referencing him. You go back to verse 14, and it says him, uh, for we are redeemed by his blood. Well, who shed blood? Jesus Christ. It is talking about none other than Jesus Christ being God and being involved in creation. And it's a very important point to understand that, hey, Jesus was not just a human. Jesus was God in the flesh. And His beginnings were from old, the Bible says. In other words, He was there at creation. You know, when, by, when the Bible says in Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, Let us... That's plural. Let us make man in our image. That's plural. That's not singular. He's saying, hey, there is a Godhead. There is a deity. There is God the Father. There is God the Son, Jesus Christ. And there is God the Spirit. Don't let somebody else come along and try and tell you that that us is the angels. The Bible did not ever say or give credit to the angels being active in creation. But the Bible very clearly gives, uh, gives acknowledgement that Jesus Christ was active in creation. And God was active in creation. And hey, these two and these three, the whole Holy Spirit are one, the Godhead, and they all were involved in creation. And that proves without any shadow of a doubt that Jesus was heavenly. You go on to the next phrase in Micah 5, 2, and he says, from, I love this part, everlasting. Again, we have trouble understanding that. Why? I have trouble understanding that because... We're finite. What does that mean? That means we have a beginning. I can point to my birth date and, dis and September 30th, 1975 in Rome, New York. I was born into this world. I didn't exist before that. I wasn't even thought of. I'm human. I have a place that I was started in this world. 
but listen, because I've been saved, I'll die on this earth and I'll have a point that my life will end here on this earth. But listen, for all of eternity, I'll be in heaven with God. Everlasting. It doesn't end. But go back to our verse and watch this. Whose going forth have been from of old, you can take that all the way back to creation, but he didn't start there, and it continues and says, from everlasting. Not everlasting going forward, but from going backward, everlasting. There is no starting point of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is God. Man, He's heavenly. And he was born in Bethlehem, a humble little town, a meager place. He was, he was uh, not only the humility, but the humanity that he would be born of a woman and made under the law and live a sinless life. And then we can see uh, his, his heir to the throne through all the records that were given. And then his heavenly ties that, hey, he is God. And then there's one other thing we can notice out of this, and I didn't cover it in the beginning, but it's very clear. The, uh, the house of bread, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. You know what John chapter number 6 and verse 33 says? For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. It's the house of bread. Listen, that's the last note I can cover out of Bethlehem. That Jesus Christ came down from heaven and he is, he claimed, and I believe, because it says it very clearly, I am, he said, the bread of life. Hey, and he's what we need for all of eternity. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can change our life. He is the only one that can make a difference in our life. He is the only one that can fulfill the hunger that man has in their life. Jesus Christ fulfilled it coming at Bethlehem, the house of bread, Brought, us, brought to us the bread of life. What an incredible place, the city of Bethlehem. What an incredible significance that God gave us in this passage, in the promise, and fulfilling all of those prophecies in one Jesus Christ. What a blessing. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, thank you for the great promise, for the great prophecy. God, that you had Micah prophesy and record years before you were ever born. God, may we marvel at truly what a wonderful God you are. God, to have planned and prepared and laid all the groundwork for all of that. What an incredible God to work everything according to your plan and to cause that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, a little humble town in the hills south of Jerusalem and be the Savior of the world. God, I pray that this Christmas time, we'd rejoice 
And truly, how great and how wonderful everything that you've done for us was done at Christmas time. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have just a short hymn of invitation, the little town of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ was born. What a wonderful God we serve. What an amazing piece of prophecy. What a lesson in humility. What a lesson in our need of salvation. The bread of life. 